Praise the Lord. Well, we are, in our sermons, been studying the book of Matthew, and this is lesson 27, and we're in chapter 9. And the focus of the, the chapter, really, well, we've gotten some healings and so forth, the focus has been on discipleship and community. In fact, as I mentioned a couple of times in the last few weeks, if you miss discipleship, if you miss community, then you need to reread the book because you've missed the focus of the book. And by the book, I mean the whole book from Genesis to Revelation. It's about community, about God wanting to live in community with his people. And last week we looked at Yeshua healing a woman with an issue of blood. The woman grabs the hem, the fringe of his garment, and she's made whole. And then the raising of a dead girl that occurs in verse 18 through 26. Yeshua also heals a blind man and a mute in 27 through 34. And then in verse 35 through 38, we get back to this discipleship, this community. Woven between these lessons of Yeshua's authority are lessons on discipleship and community. And so... As we return to verse 35, it says this, Yeshua went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Yeshua demonstrates his authority over every sickness, every kind of sickness, every disease, as he preaches the good news. Because the good news, as I've said before, the good news was a complete package. To really understand this this passage, you have to come to grips with the good news is not just a promise of a portion in the world to come, a pie-in-the-sky promise somewhere. But the good news was a restoration of spirit and body. Yeshua healed the oppressed because that was the good news. Remember we heard Yeshua say this earlier in in this chapter. In verse 5 it says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. And what I want you to notice here, it says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He says, get up and take your mat and go home. The point being that they did not, and Yeshua did not see a separation between one's spiritual condition and one's physical condition. Because there is none. And so when he came and preached the good news, he didn't go to the person and say, listen, if you believe in me, one day you'll be with me in paradise. But until then, you just lay there on your mat and keep on begging for money and dream about that kingdom that's coming to the earth a thousand years from now. That, to the man on the mat, would not have been good news. The good news that Yeshua preached and that he gave his disciples to preach was one of the forgiveness of sin and the effects of sin right now, today, get up and be a representative of the kingdom. Anything else. And Yeshua would not have gathered the crowds because 
what he preached would have been powerless like the rest of the rabbis of his day. Less than good news. And I bring this up because you need to understand this as we continue. And we'll speak more of it when we get to, when we devote some time to healing and sickness in chapter 11. But understand that we in this country do not preach the good news. As Yeshua and the early disciples preached the good news. And that's really sad. So Matthew then tells us that Yeshua had compassion on them. And it means he had affection and mercy for them. It's one of the attributes of God listed in in Exodus chapter 34. It says he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, the text says, like sheep without a shepherd. And the words there, harassed and helpless, I I don't think are a very good rendering. It would be better rendered exhausted and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And I think the NIV kind of misses the imagery with the words harassed and helpless. Let's look at what would have come to the mind of Matthew when Yeshua spoke these words and the the disciples, the imagery that would have came to mind. You know, sheep need a lot of care. They're food for many animals. Bears, lions, wolves, wild dogs. And the reason that they're food is that they're slow and aimless runners. They're easy prey. And we get an idea of the duties of a shepherd if we look in the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm sure this is part part of what would have come to Matthew's and the disciples' minds as they heard Yeshua. In verse 34 it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he defiled the armies of the living God. You see, the shepherd, besides leading the flock to pasture, to water, protected the flock from predators. If he were a good shepherd, he would do that at the risk of his own life or welfare. As we just read, David did. The sheep were his fathers and he cared for them without regard for himself because he knew how important they were to his father. And so we're drawn as Matthew and the disciples would be to the story of David. We'd be drawn also to a prophecy by Isaiah. Let's read a prophecy by Isaiah about the good news in chapter 40 and verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so I want you to understand, this is the imagery of the shepherd. Yeshua sees his people. He sees that no one is preaching the good news as evidenced by the sick and the spiritually destitute people that he sees. The people have no leader. They have many leaders. 
They're oppressed by the occupation of Rome. The people are exhausted from running here and there. This leader saying this, that leader saying that. They're exhausted from bearing the heavy load that the teachers of Israel have placed upon them. Yeshua tells us the teachers have tied up heavy loads and put them on the people's shoulders. They've missed the good news, the essence of Torah. They're in need of a shepherd to take them from the jaws of the bear, untangle them from the thorn bush of the laws of the Pharisees that have entangled them and save them. They need rescue from the harassment and the spiritual decay, the aimless running from the shepherds who are not shepherds at all. You see, the community of Israel, when Yeshua found them, were not filled with love, your neighbor. They were without example of love, of that love. They're not filled with the good news of the kingdom because their teachers had no good news. They, like the church of today, had a lot of religious news, but no good news. If they were preaching the good news, there wouldn't be so many sick, would there? Yeshua looks at His creation... He sees the fallenness of his people and what it's done to his creation and he has compassion on them. And this, in this we get a glimpse of what God the Father feels for his creation and how it pains him to see what's happened to them because they chose to go their own way and remove themselves from his protection, from his being shepherd. And he sees the people of Israel as lost without a shepherd, exhausted from the sorry state of affairs in Israel. They're in need of shelter. They're in need of protection. And so Matthew describes Yeshua as a shepherd. And so it stands that if he's making disciples, we can say copies of himself, as we talked about in previous weeks, then Yeshua is training shepherds who will have compassion on his creation And he looks at these people and he sees that they are spiritually harassed. They're harassed by demons and illness and the result of sin, moral decay. And he looks at them and he says this in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. He looks at the people in this state of decay and spiritual bankruptcy and he says the harvest is plentiful. How can that be? Think about it. You would think the opposite would be true, wouldn't you? Well, it's not because we're told that it's in their affliction that they'll seek me. Hosea 5.15 says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. Look who goes out to seek Yeshua. Look who goes out to hear Yeshua's good news. It's the sick. It's the downtrodden. And where did he go for his disciples? He didn't go to the yeshivas to find disciples. He went to the downtrodden. He says the harvest is plentiful. There is no shepherd. The flock is hurting. Yeshua is training shepherds of his community. And is he successful? Well, we looked at Acts chapter 2 the other day. Yes, he was successful. He sees that the workers are few and the few are really, for the most part, there are no shepherds in the community. There are no workers. 
the sheep are not fed. They're not watered. They're not cared for. They're not protected. And I don't like the chapter division here because I think we should have kept on reading right into chapter 10 and verse 1. I think it should have been part of chapter 9. And it says, And he called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. He sees the distress. He sees the need of shepherds in the community. And he calls his disciples to himself and he gives them authority to become the same shepherd that he is. He calls his disciples and he sends them forth and he gives them the authority to heal every sickness, disease, to drive out spirits. He sends them forth. As the Father has sent him to shepherd, he sends his disciples to shepherd. And in that regard, I want to talk a little bit about the call of God and about the sending of God today. And notice that he calls them and he sends them. And this is a perfect place to speak of this. Remember, in an earlier lesson on community, I asked you to take note that on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 disciples on the Temple Mount. And then we're told that 3,000 were added to their number that single day. If we're to look in the book of Luke, chapter 10, we would find that Yeshua sends out 70 to the towns that He's going to, going on ahead of Him. And yet, he calls 12 disciples to himself. And these 12 he'll send on a special task. Yeshua is addressing a larger contingent of disciples in, as in the book of Luke. And he sends them to the towns and cities. But then he calls the 12 to himself. You see, because in the 12 he's training shepherds. If we go to Acts chapter 2 through 6, we're going to find that there was an entire community Numbers being added daily. And yet we also read they devoted themselves to 12. The apostles. The shepherds that Yeshua trained. Telling us they saw the disciples as set apart. The shepherds of the community. In chapter 6 it tells us that the apostles refused to be drawn into the work of the community. So that they could devote themselves to ministry. To teaching. To prayer. To feeding. To caring for the sheep. We're told this by Shaul in Ephesians chapter 4. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Messiah may be built up until we reach a unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness in Messiah. And so Yeshua trains up his body and his people for the work of the harvest. And he does it through people that he calls to be prophets, teachers, shepherds, etc. To prepare God's people to reach a unity. Wow. Unity of faith and knowledge. It means that God calls and sends out certain people for leadership of the community, for shepherding the community. And let me say this. Yeshua is not into democracy. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. God is not the author of democracy. 
He has an order of things. He's sovereign and he calls people to service in the community, but he calls them and he calls other people to special services. And I'm going to tell you, there's no logical rhyme or reason for who, who he chooses as we've seen. It would seem to the onlooker that if I were looking to gather disciples to affect the world and to teach them of God, I would have went to the yeshiva. To my worldly way of thinking. I would have went to the yeshiva and gathered the brightest students there. But Yeshua goes to the fishing boats and says, come, follow me. And then just so that we know that he's, there's no prejudice here, and that he still loves yeshiva students as well. Later he goes to the yeshiva, so to speak, and he gathers Shaul, a yeshiva student of Gamliel, on the road to Damascus as he travels to persecute the disciples in the diaspora and calls him. Go figure that out, right? It doesn't mean that the people he calls and sends are special people. It means they have a special task. It doesn't mean that he loves those people more or they have some special reward. It just means they got a special task. It doesn't mean they are people who are smart, good-looking, popular, or that you're even necessarily going to like them. It just means they have a special task. But we do need to recognize that they do have a special task. You see, Yeshua sees things in people that we don't see. He chooses people to lead his kihilat by his own divine wisdom. By his own sovereignty. And he doesn't consult with others before doing it. He just chooses who he'll choose. And the point being, there is a structure to Yeshua's Kehillah. You know, when democracy rose up in the community of Israel, and remember the popular vote once went against Moses, and they said to him, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel is holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? What happened to those folks that said that? Well, the earth opened up and swallowed them. Because God called Moses for a special task. And while you may not have respect for Moses, you better respect the task. He protects his leaders. Remember when the Israelites grumbled about going back into Egypt? Numbers chapter 14, let's read it. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said, Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you a nation greater and stronger than they. The Lord took the rebellion of the people against his chosen leader personal. And the point here is that God calls people to tasks. He sent out many people to the harvest. He sends out 70 in Luke. In the temple there are 3,000 that are brought into the kingdom, to the Kehillat. Later, that whole bunch is scattered, along with many others, and they're, they're scattered to the diaspora. They go out and they preach in the diaspora the good news. So much so that by the time Shaul is called by Yeshua, there are communities of disciples in the diaspora. You know, we sometimes don't give we we sometimes don't give Shaul credit for the things that he did, but more often we give him credit for some things that he didn't do. He didn't go out and start communities of disciples that had already been done by a scattering that happened. 
He was a man who was sent to shepherd to protect the sheep from the wolves that would corrupt and scatter the flock. And yes, we see him going to the synagogues and he preaches to the Jews and to the non-Jews. Which is kind of an interesting aside that we'll have to talk about another day. And a humbling aside. Because even though Shaul was sent to the non-Jews, he first goes to the Jews because it's to the Jew first and then to the non-Jew. He goes to the synagogue first. As did his teacher. So these people with a special call of God, he sent them for a specific purpose. He calls them to himself. In other words, while we're all called to relationship with Yeshua, there are some he calls to a special relationship. You see, if he calls you to be a teacher, then in that relationship with him, he has to give you something to teach. If he calls you to shepherd then in that relationship that you have with him, he has to give you the qualities to do that. Because I can almost guarantee you, you won't have them at that time. Look at Moses. He could not speak. No matter, God gave him the words to speak. Moses felt inadequate. No matter, God is adequate. More than adequate. Moses was not strong or powerful as Pharaoh. No matter, God is God. The point is, God is sovereign. He calls, and then He sovereignly gives those He calls to ministry what they need. He protects those He calls, not because they're special people, but because they have a special call. And you have to respect the call. You don't have to like the person, but you do have to respect the call. It would seem that also He would prefer to choose people who don't have what it takes to complete the task to start out with so that they will rely on Him and not think too much of themselves. You know, I don't like speaking about the call of God. And you probably haven't heard me speak about this too often because people often think, well, you know, because I lead this community, I'm kind of speaking these things to blow my own horn or whistle to strengthen my status in the community. Far be it. If If you think about it, in just shouting the name of the Savior, the Master, and declaring those things that He's told me to declare, and just doing the things that I've been called to do, I have much more notoriety than I care to have. In just teaching on the radio for years, I became something I never wanted to be. Well known. When when Uriah went to North Central, he was surprised at how many of the teachers and students knew me there. Well, Now we're on TV and they have a face to attach to that name. Understand, that's not what I was after. I thought I wanted to start a community. I wanted to declare the good news, the Hebrew roots of the faith. I want to declare a Hebrew Messiah. You see, this notoriety is more like a hazard. It's a hazard you get when you declare the name of the Master. So in proclaiming the name of the Master, my own name is out there as well. So understand that I'm not teaching this today because I need notoriety or admiration. I have to fight off more than I need. I have more than I can fight off. Because it is a trap. It's not something I want. It's something that I have to fight against. I see it as a blight. You know why? Because I see others who have been called who forget who called them. 
Their name becomes greater than the one who they're supposed to proclaim. The ministry of so-and-so, the ministry of so-and-so. I don't want that trap. You're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant doing that. So understand, I don't have a problem with insecurity. No, I'm teaching this today because I know that there's some young men in here who are thinking about ministry. And I want them to know how important not just the call of God is, but the sending of God if you're going to attempt ministry. You see, it is this calling and the sending of Yeshua that will keep you when you have to do the hard things. It's knowing that you're doing exactly what God told you to do that gives you the strength to carry on through the hard things. It's knowing that you're doing exactly what God called you to do that will give you the courage to declare the hard message no matter what the cost and the wisdom to lessen the damage of that declaration. And let me say that on the one hand, being in ministry is hard work. It's discouraging work. On the other hand, it's the greatest and most rewarding thing that you'll ever do. Because the reward is that the hand of God is on your life. God is working through you. God is giving you everything you need. God is protecting you. It's God who's supplying you, shepherding you, teaching you. All in ways that He doesn't necessarily do to others because you have been called and you have been sent. And once that happens to you, what others think about you or say about you pales and is of no consequence. If you speak with those who have the call and are operating in the call and the descending of God, you know what? They're happy folks. Let me read to you about from let me read to you about Shaul. Listen to this. This is gives I love this passage. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty three. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, one stone, three times shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? So here, here Shaul tells us, he gives us the, the, the joy of ministry here. <laughs> In this passage, he gives you the essence of the strength that God gives those he calls and sends though. Imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, receiving 40 lashes minus one with a whip. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't make you cringe, Come on up here and let me pray for you because I think you're out of touch with reality or something. And even if it doesn't, after the first time, I guarantee you, you'd cringe. And he says he endured it five times. You see, his reward in this life was beating, stonings, hunger, hard work, danger, ridicule from false brothers. And yet, 
Earlier in the chapter, he says this. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 3 and 4, he says, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. And in all our trouble, my joy knows no bounds. How do you have joy through beatings, stonings, hunger, hard work? Well, you know you have joy because you're knowing what, you know you're doing what God called you to do. And He's there with you every step of the way. He endured all of this before you. And He's called you. And He sent you. And that's why the call and the sending of God is so important. You're not going to make it through these things unless you have it. Not only that, once you have the call... Not only will it give you the strength to carry on and be able to do what you should do, you won't be able to do anything else. You'll never be happy outside what God has sent you to do. Because as soon as you get outside, you know you're not doing what your Creator asked you to do. I think of nothing sadder for me or more terrifying for me than not doing what Yeshua would have me do. Once you put your hand to the plow, you can't take it off until he tells you your work is done. Will he ever tell you that your work is done? Well, I don't know. I haven't heard that yet. But I can tell you this. Shaul never heard those words. Matthew never heard them. Moses heard them. Moses heard them. But I must say, He had a very short retirement, if you can call walking up a mountain retirement. They labored until they paid the ultimate price of that labor. The fact is, in the case of Yeshua's disciple, your work is never done. Retirement is not mentioned. So once you come to grips with the fact that there is a call and there is a sending that Yeshua does call certain people to Him for certain tasks, for special tasks, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? I mean, think about it. We read the Gospels. I don't think we always really ask ourselves the right questions as we we read. Do you ever ask yourself questions as you read? Well, what? wait a minute. You ever do that? I do all the time. Listen, here's one of them that made me do that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Yeshua walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Yeshua said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. And then if we go to Matthew chapter 9, it says, And Yeshua went on from there and saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Did you ever wonder... What on earth made these men follow Yeshua without even giving it almost a thought? If we look at the call of the fishermen, both in Matthew and Mark, make it real clear that Yeshua's ministry hadn't even begun yet. No miracles yet. No healings yet. And yet these men get up, leave their jobs, their families, and follow Yeshua. Matthew says again, at once they just left their nets. 
and followed him. They must have been had an inkling beforehand. Some spirit must have spoken to them or something. I don't know. But maybe it's because I'm a teacher. I look at stuff like this and say, What? <laughs> Who would do that? And why? Follow an unknown at the word, come follow me? Yeshua hadn't done anything. Yeshua wasn't wearing a sign. He's not walking around saying, here's Messiah. (laughs) Right? And yet these men get up immediately and follow him. Did you ever wonder about that? What makes someone start a ministry that teaches the Hebrew understanding of Scripture? Start a ministry at a time when most people don't even know the Master's name is Yeshua. Teach things that go against everything that the church has taught for centuries. That is taught in the churches of the people that he's trying to teach. Things contrary to everything Christians believe. The law is not done away with. The Torah is God's will for man. The festivals of the Lord are God's will. The festivals that you keep are out of paganism. The Jews are still God's chosen people. All of those messages go against their Sunday sermons. And yet, he begins with no money. No internet. The internet hasn't been invented yet. No way of reaching people except personally go out wherever you get a chance, wherever you get an open door, and teach. What makes people do things so ridiculous? Things like, Begin a radio program on a Christian radio station that goes against everything that they believe. And preach on that radio program without pulling any punches. And yet, somehow, that show never gets pulled off the station. Go figure, right? It's Yeshua's calling and sending you to do it. Encouraging you each step of the way. Providing you each and everything you need. Protecting you each and every step of the way. It's his words to you. Come follow me. I'm sending you to teach this people. And there's nothing that can replace it. How do you get it? How do you know that you're called? Well, many people are called. We're all called. If you are chosen. Many people go, many people, you know, begin their ministry with school and then ordination. And they think education is the way. You know, you ever go to some websites, they post their doctorates and their credentials and ba- as if they were badges of courage or something. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with schooling. But there's something more important. Yeshua's leadership, Yeshua's shepherds have the call and the sending. And you get that knowing Yeshua and seeking after Yeshua. You get that by crying out to God until you hear the words, go do this. Go do that. For me, it was 20 years ago on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. I sat on a bench on the Temple Mount praying. And Yeshua said to me, go down this mountain and start to preach. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That was the sending. 
And I wouldn't trade that 30 seconds on Mount Moriah for all the Bible knowledge, for all the doctorates in the finest schools, or whatever. Because it is that, when the hard times come, that keeps you moving. Not Bible knowledge. It's remembering this when the hard times come. When the stress is about more than you can bear. It's about... It's this in times like those that these words ring through your mind and you know, hey, God will take care of it. It'll pass. You're doing what He told you to do. It's His job to make the way. It's His job to give you the supply. He's the shield. He's the provider. You're just doing what He's told you to do. Why worry about it? The disciples had it. And let me say, if you're a young man and you're thinking of ministry, you need to get it. And you have to seek Yeshua. You have to seek Him in prayer. You have to get away in your prayer closet. And you have to seek Him until you hear the words, Come, follow me. Those are the words we all must hear. But for ministry, you have to keep on seeking until you hear the words, Go do this. First the call, then the sending. Hear the call, get up, and then go seek the sending. Amen.